0: You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com.
1: This episode is a replay of a webinar entitled Post-Sale Priorities, Zen and the Art of Order Fulfillment, and features experts from Chargebacks 911 and Shipmon.
0: Okay, we're gonna go ahead and get started. Welcome everyone for uh, joining, thank you for joining uh, us for the webinar. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day today. My, my name is Jared Wright, I'm the marketing director here at Chargebacks 911. Um, for those of you unfamiliar with Chargebacks 911, we help merchants by identifying and preventing chargebacks before they happen, and then managing their disputes for chargebacks that we were unable to prevent. Um, You may notice a bit of a Christmas color scheme throughout the webinar today, and that's because presenting with me today is Catherine Andrews, who is the marketing manager at Shipmunk, and uh, with her, she is bringing lots of green.
1: So uh,
0: I'm excited to have someone from Shipmunk for a lot of reasons, but uh, not the least of which is that I really love their branding. Um, it was really fun to play with their brand and coming up with the title of today's webinar. I really love that little monk. So uh, branding aside, though, Catherine, uh, do you want to take a moment and tell us a little bit about what ShipMonk is all about?
1: Yeah, thanks, Jared, and thanks for having me. So uh, ShipMonk is a technology-focused fulfillment center, and we specialize in providing multi-channel e-commerce order fulfillment and shipping services, as well as an order and inventory management software to growing e-commerce companies. So that to enable them to focus on building their building and uh, scaling their brand. So focusing on, you know, the fun things, things behind the behind the scenes um, and not the logistics of fulfilling and shipping orders. And then currently we have three warehouses in the United States. Our headquarters is located here in Fort Lauderdale and then we have facilities in California and Pennsylvania and then plans for uh, further expansion.
0: It's very exciting and and I just I just heard your um you guys made it in the um, uh, inc uh, 5000 is that is that is that right
1: we we did we just really set your found out that yesterday we ranked we it uh, 241 on the inc 5000 list of fastest growing private companies in America oh wow first, yep 241
0: <laughs> that's pretty year. high that's that's great that's exciting
1: yeah yeah it's very exciting it was our our third year making the list which was also very exciting. It's it's great to see that you know our company is, conti- is continuing to to grow and and uh, be successful. So very exciting news.
0: Well, that's great. I'm I'm glad to have you here, and I think uh, today's webinar okay. is going to be a good one. Uh, before I get started, I just want to go over how the webinar will be structured. Um, the first part of the webinar will include a short presentation from myself and then from Catherine. Um, <clears throat> this portion of the webinar will be fairly visual, so it's important that if you can. Uh, you, you kind of close other windows and give us your attention. Um, the second part of the webinar will be a Q&A where we answer many of the questions that were submitted. This portion will be, uh, by necessity, less visual, so it's okay if you just wanna kind of listen to that part. Um, please feel free to submit any question that you have during the webinar. We promise to answer any question submitted. Um, if we're not able to do it live, then we promise to uh, email you uh, as, as complete an answer as we can after the webinar. Um, Also, uh, since everyone always asks, this webinar will be available for replay starting tomorrow. Um, Depending on what we talk about, not all of the Q&A portion will be included in the recording, however. So uh, we encourage you to stay with us today so that you get the maximum value out of this event. Um, Lastly, this and other webinars will eventually be released in audio form on our podcast. Um, Just search Charge Forward, all one word, with Chargebacks 911, however you listen to podcasts, if you'd like to check some of those out. Okay, so for those of you joining us for the first time, um, I, I made a commitment to myself to ask a real question that I have um, while I have the opportunity to speak to you know these different experts. Uh, I think it's human nature to want to avoid asking dumb questions, so I've sort of forced myself, I'll give myself a, uh, an excuse or or a, a commitment to ask a dumb question. Um, Catherine, are you, are you game? Do you mind if I ask you a dumb question? <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure, go ahead
0: okay um, when we were discussing this webinar you reminded me that Amazon at least in some respects is kind of a competitor of yours and um, you know that that you know I, I always sort of forget that and it, it really made me realize that I don't think I really have a full understanding of you know kind of all of the the things that go beyond go on behind the scenes when uh, someone makes a purchase online um, <clears throat> I know that a lot of merchants sell through Amazon, and then I know a, a lot of them use them actually as their fulfillment. Um, so, I, but I guess I guess my question sort of relates to that because, um, you know, why awesome logo aside, would someone use Shipmonk instead of just selling exclusively on Amazon? um, you know, not to, not to lobby for Amazon. I think they have a a big enough piece (laughs) of the pie at this point, but, but there has to be a reason. So, you know, can you, can you kind of walk us through what maybe the differences are or, you know, why there's, there's space for a company like yours?
1: Great, Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, we at times consider us, uh, consider Amazon a competitor, but at the same time, we, 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 uh, tell merchants to sell on Amazon. We, um, you know, we, you know, we think that it's great if they're on different channels um, and, you know, spreading their brand across different websites, um, whether it be Amazon, eBay, Etsy, their website. Um, But with Amazon, uh, fulfillment by Amazon is a little complicated. They have a lot of regulations on how they accept inventory. And so the process um, of merchants, you know, uh, making sure that their inventory meets their standards. Can be very time-consuming and you know just not very fun. So the, um, you know we don't we don't have those exact standards for receiving inventory. So that one way makes it a little bit easier to work with us than in um, Amazon. And then also the, the customization. You know, I'm pretty sure almost everyone has ordered from Amazon. Um, you receive it in an Amazon box or you know white Amazon box or a brown box. You know, not branded. Um, you know, working with us, our merchants, they can have their custom branded boxing and and really make that customer experience great based on you know how the the uh, package receives is received by them. Um, it's not just stamped over by Amazon. It's their brand and how they want it to uh, to be to, the package to be uh, delivered and arrived. Um, again, you know we. While Amazon could be a competitor, you know, we say you know it's great to to sell on that, and then we can also uh, integrate with Amazon Marketplace and fulfill orders for the merchants that are sold on Amazon. So you can sell on Amazon and then use us for fulfillment for fulfillment.
0: Well, that, that's great. Yeah, that's that that makes a lot of sense. And I think I think we're going to talk a lot about you know the importance of sort of you know thinking about that post sale experience um, with with a customer. And I and I think you're right. I think that for a lot of you sort of sacrifice a lot of the um, the things that you can do to 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 really have that great experience if um, if you're just another product that's being sent in an Amazon box but um, mm-hmm. uh, so that, so that's great and I, and I look forward to hearing more about um, some of the stuff that ShipMonk does mm-hmm. um, so I'm going to start out talking today and you, you know I, I really would prefer if I could avoid this I know that pretty much every webinar and every uh, white paper and article that we, any of us have read for the last uh, you know, four months or however long it's been has, uh, has been in some way about the, you know, the relationship to the COVID-19 crisis. But I'm going to talk just a little bit about it and then, you um and then we're gonna move on to uh, other topics. Um, this slide is a generic projection that we created at the beginning of the epidemic, and um, we looked, we've looked we looked at data as it's come out, and the general trend has proven that we, we sort of estimated back then to be fairly accurate. Um, and this chart here, this is the travel and entertainment, and it sh- sort of shows that the pressure that that industry was facing, and um, in 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 that case, they ended up sort of Dealing with something like 300% increase in disputes and an 80% de- decrease in revenue at the same time, so you had, you know, you had chargebacks happening that were robbing revenue, and then you had th- this huge decrease. So you had like an inverse, uh, you know, relationship um, from what you would normally have under normal times. So it was it was really drastic, and, and luckily the the card schemes stepped in and you know alleviated that to some degree, but really not to the, to any degree that probably matters to a lot of those companies. Um, <clears throat> And then and then our projections for the online retail are a little bit different. And um, uh, for the most part, the, the main difference is that online spending has seen a drastic increase just generally across the board. Um, and so while many of the same chargeback pressures that are at play with the travel industry um, also will ultimately Im- impact online retail, um, maybe to a lesser degree, the uh, increase in sales has really masked the issue for many merchants. So, so chargebacks have gone up. Um, you know, we, we've seen that across the board, not anywhere near the, the, the to the degree that we see in the um, um, uh, travel and entertainment space. Uh, uh, but but we we're we're seeing those numbers come up. But a lot of merchants really haven't paid attention to it because their sales are also up. And so, you know, their focus is look, we we need to run our business. We need to to to, uh, uh, do the best we can to to make sure that you know we're taking advantage of this opportunity and that makes a lot of sense. Um, But as sales transition back into an offline environment, um, we encourage merchants to expect a slowdown in sales combined with an increase in disputes. Um, So and and that's because uh, many of the chargeback liability factors, sort of the forces that make disputes more likely um, they're going to be with us for some time, right? Long after we've been able to, um, you know, get this pandemic under control, long after we have a, a vaccine or, or whatever the ultimate solution ends up being. Um, customers, uh, your customers will be facing hardships and dealing with life changes. And there's also going to be just sort of general instability in the system that makes criminal fraud harder to detect. Um, and, you know, that's not going to be forever, but but that is probably going to out. Last the uh, the direct first tier impact of the um, the pandemic. So so thinking about these things now is 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 a, is a great um, a, a great course of action. Um, <clears throat> and so, not to be a total deb- Debbie Downer, um, I want to focus instead of you know the problem and you know what what might happen. I want to look at this from uh, an opportunity standpoint. Um, And I like to think about it in a similar way to the way that I think that Amazon impacts uh, online retail, at least in one of the ways that Amazon impacts online retail. And um, for this, I'm speaking solely from the perspective of a customer because I know that most of you have complex feelings about Amazon, uh, to say the least. Um, I wanna forget all of the other sort of things that other people might be thinking about. And um, I just wanna talk about the pressure that they have put on customer expectation. Um, because it was not that long ago, it seems like a long time ago, but it wasn't that long ago where free two-day delivery was completely unheard of and revolutionary. Um, but more and more, that's sort of the standard, or maybe not that, but at least a standard of fast, affordable shipping is becoming the standard for online retail. Um, the companies that have sort of resisted that trend that have you know, charged shipping and handling and you know two or three week delivery and all of those things that were very commonplace in online retail, have largely sort of fallen behind, wh- while those that have embraced it have, um, you know, uh, thrived more than others. So um, I argue that we're kind of there's sort of a similar opportunity uh, uh, point that exists in the current pandemic. But instead of two day shipping being the standard that that e commerce businesses have to compete against, um, you're competing against the expectations of immediate gratification that are offered by brick and mortar. So um, you know, if somebody, for example, really prefers to buy their makeup in person. They've always gone to the store to go buy their makeup. It's the only way they could see. But during this pandemic, they decide, well, hey, I'm gonna try to to um, uh, buy my makeup online, right? Um, so so the retailers, the makeup sellers, all, all the online retailers that provide a spectacular experience to someone who previously would have preferred to shop in a store may earn that business permanently. Um, and they may change that buying habit of that consumer. Um, whereas those retailers who resist, who don't see the opportunity here, will invariably shrink when the buying behavior normalizes and everything shifts offline. So, so that's something that that you know I encourage everybody to think about. Um, and uh, um, the way I see it, merchants can sort of gnash their teeth and they can they can complain about Amazon and the unreli. Realistic expectation, or they can you know, look at it as an opportunity to rise to the challenge and uh, deliver a spectacular experience for their customers and uh, you know, maybe, maybe change their thinking and, and, and make them a, a lifelong customer. Um, and I think today our webinar is an argument for the latter. So this slide is probably not gonna make me very popular because I know that a certain number of people read our blog and attend these webinars hoping to learn a simple secret that's gonna enable them to avoid chargebacks completely. Um, Specifically, avoid all types of friendly fraud. Um, And while we do share a lot of valuable information, um, and I hope that we share some of that today, there's a lot, and there is a lot of things that merchants can do, the number one weapon that, that you have as a merchant against friendly fraud is delighted customers because if a customer is delighted by your product or loyal to your company they almost never file a dispute even when you make a mistake even when you you do something you you ship late you do the things that that create chargeback liabilities um you know if if you have a loyal customer that's really happy with your product and your brand um they're going to be much less likely to file a dispute and the thing is that we find that for most companies, the changes that will make the, that type of difference, that type of, you know, delighted versus satisfied difference, um, they're not that hard to make and they're not that expensive. It's really just a matter of priorities. Um, <clears throat> so, so this is kind of a silly slide, but what I see over and over again, not just in online retail by the way this is just across the board in pretty much every business um, is that there's a huge amount of energy spent in the pre-sale priorities right um, without a lot of energy or thinking about the post-sale experience in marketing um, Catherine, you can probably relate to this i mean i i just earlier today i had a 10-minute conversation uh with my team about the corner radius of a button on a form that we were building <laughs> i mean we really get in and we, we spend you know the 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 energy with the minutia um on on all of the things that 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 impact that pre-sale experience um we spend a lot of time thinking about user experience before they buy and too little time about the experience after they buy um and if if the perfect example i think in in most uh most cases, this is going to illustrate my point. If you think about the last marketing email your company sent, now compare that to the order confirmation email you send after that customer makes a, uh, a purchase. For most of you, the imbalance should be fairly stark, right? You put a lot of energy into that that uh, email that that is to generate the sale. But once the sale happens, you just send like a little text email that says, hey, thanks for the business. Maybe Maybe not everybody's doing that, but a lot of companies are. And it's there's that imbalance that that I see across the board, not just with the confirmation email. There's a lot of opportunity there to spend some of the razzle dazzle that everyone's so accustomed to, to 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 dedicating to the the pre-purchase experience. There's there's a lot of that energy could be put into the into the post-sale experience. And I'm just gonna give you a quick anecdote. I'm gonna hand this over to Catherine. But um, and this story is from a from a SaaS client of ours, so it's not a direct correlation, but I think it illustrates my point. Um, They were doing great from a customer acquisition standpoint, they had a, you know, a great product. There was, you know, they weren't doing anything wrong from a business standpoint, but they started creeping up into the sort of higher chargeback ratios. Um, They weren't doing anything wrong, but the nature of subscription model is that chargebacks are just more likely. It's just part of the part of the the territory, and um, uniquely with subscriptions, when people dispute a subscription charge, they often dispute not just that charge, but they dispute all of the subscription charges. So one unhappy customer was potentially initiating you know, half a dozen chargebacks. Um, so this co- client was on the verge of breaching a threshold that would have caused them to incur all types of additional costs and fees with their processor, potentially tens of thousands of dollars additional uh, monthly costs, so their immediate goal Uh, understandably, was to reduce the total number of chargebacks that they received. And one of the strategies we advised them to consider was sending a reminder email before each rebill. And obviously, they were not thrilled with that idea because it would likely also increase their churn. Um, But they came up with a really creative solution, and so I, I, I bring it up for this. They were constantly adding new features to their product, and they were creating content highlighting the different uses for the the tool and uh, the advertising the new features and all of this content was being used to attract new customers. So they were already creating it, but what they did is they repurposed some of their announcements and case studies and all this stuff that they were creating and they sent it to existing customers ahead of their rebill and to kind of remind the customer of all of the value that they were receiving. Um, so so they turned a rebuild notification into an advertising opportunity, and um, they reminded the customer of why they were a customer, uh, and then in doing that, um, they actually reduced both their churn and their chargebacks. Um, and the crazy thing, and this is why I bring this up, is because they didn't create anything new. This didn't create any additional overhead, maybe maybe a small amount to sort of repurpose the stuff, but they were just using the content and campaigns that they were already creating. All of the energy that they were putting in the front end, they were able to leverage and and think about some of the the post-sale needs of their their customers. So if you're willing to think outside the box and remain committed to providing an excellent post-sale experience, you will see fewer chargebacks, not to mention referrals, uh, return business, all of those additional benefits that I think Catherine is probably going to focus on. Um, I always sort of think of things through the prism of chargebacks. Um, Catherine's probably, you know, kind of kind of thinking a little bit more broadly. Um, mm-hmm. But but there's there's untold benefit. So with that, I think that, you know, those are kind of the ideas mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about uh, up front. And then we have some questions at the end and we'll kind of get a little more granular with this stuff. But those are sort of the ideas that I think it's important um, that that merchants take into account. All right, Catherine. Um, you want to? You want to? Yeah. You want to take it from here?
1: Yeah, I'll take it from here. Thanks. So yeah. Um, like Jared said, we are, you know, e-commerce sales as a whole have steadily uh, increased, you know, year over year. But you know, specifically as a result of COVID and sales moving, uh, uh, spending moving drastically online, moving a lot online. We've, we've, as a fulfillment company, have ex- uh, ex- seen extreme spikes in order volume, on, online order volume, and like what we would experience during our peak season, which is uh, you know November, December, like Black Friday, Cyber Monday, the holidays, we're experiencing in July. Um, so we are hit with with numbers and orders that we you know aren't prepared for at the, you know where we didn't prepare for. You know we will prepare a year in advance for peak season. Um, so yeah, as a result of, of COVID, we're experiencing this, this heavy, heavy, you know, shift and having to, um, you know, having to uh, make sure that we can, um, you know, work, you know, pick up the slack, and make sure we can uh, um, still do our job and, and get these orders out. So um, yeah, so with the uh, with the amount of orders, there's there's fulfillment delays. And as a fulfillment company, we're we're facing challenges. Um, you know, the unexpected order spikes and then also decrease in available workers is causing us to have delays in getting orders out and then there's also shipping delays um, so the carriers are hit with you know major restrictions we work very closely with the major carriers and you know it's every few days we're getting a, a new notica- notification where the different countries that they can or cannot ship to um, and then also just the delays that they are experiencing due to the high order volume or to high volume shipping volume that they weren't prepared to to have at this point in time. Um, and at the end of the day, the customer. I mean, I will speak from my own experience. Before I started working at Chipmunk, and like, kind of like what Jared said, like I had no idea what was behind the scenes with order, and I thought something online, and it just showed up on my doorstep a few days later. But there are so many steps in between. The buy now button, and when it gets to your door, where things could go wrong, yet the c- consumers aren't really thinking about those things. And so, f- for, from a f- fulfillment perspective, you want to make sure that that process is as you know streamlined as possible, and there's it limits the amount of you know disruptions that could cause the customer experience to you know not be as as they expected, not be as good. So, um. So specifically how 3PLs can help with that. Um, you know, customer service and support is a huge thing. And our merchants, a lot of our merchants work with us because they aren't shipping and fulfillment experts. You know, they want to hand that off to someone else so that they can concentrate on, you know, the fun stuff, is building their brand, creating new products. So they rely on us to, you know, let them know like, hey, there's there's these carrier delays, or hey, there's these, uh, you can't ship to these countries right now. Um, so yeah having that support um, from a 3pL perspective is really beneficial to them I actually did a case study well going back so shipmunk specifically we have a, a team our, our support team we call them our happiness engineers and they're there to answer any questions our merchants have so if a customer you know has a complaint and the merchant calls us we can you know try to you know figure out what went wrong and give them a response so they're not in the dark um, and then recently I had a case study or Did a case study with one of our merchants and they said one of the biggest benefits they had working with us was our support team and being able to contact us and say, you know, hey, why is why is this order delayed or what happened to this order? And they even said that they're on a first name basis with their happiness engineer, but in a good in a good way on a first name basis. Um, so, yeah, communicating to our merchants is really, you know, really important to us um, because it then enables them to be able to properly communicate. To their con- their consumers, to the buyers, so that they set real expectations and they can meet that, those expectations. And then another thing, automation and technology. So right now, specifically, you know, with with the uh, increase of orders, order volume, and kind of at times, you know, decrease in workers. You know, we need workers in the warehouse warehouses to fulfill orders, but there's you know sometimes where we don't have as many as we need. And we Chipmunk specifically has invested made it a point to invest in um, automation and technology and you know as a, even pre-covid times it was important to us but you know at, since we did invest in that we now are benefiting from the ability to have we have uh here on the side we have uh warehouse robots who will zoom around the warehouse and help the warehouse employees pick um the orders from the shelves which then go to the packing station so it kind of helps speed up the process and helps us get those orders out um, you know as quickly as we can uh, contingent upon the, the order demand at the time um, but yeah uh, during you know during this COVID influx of orders the, the technology and automation in our warehouse house has really you know drastically helped us because it, it allows us to speed up the process um, that could would be delayed even longer if we didn't have it and then post-purchase strategy. So these are things that I'm, you know, really big into. That any time of, uh, any time, you know, pre-post COVID, I think that these, these are things that brands could benefit from, and which Jared kind of hinted on. So one of these things is um, packaging and customization. So what you're packaging your, your product in can determine a lot in the, the fulfillment process. So shipping it could cause, you know, shipping uh the shipping time or the cost of the shipment um you know if you're not packaging it in a if you're packaging in a way larger box than it should be you know you may be pa- paying a lot more for that packaging than you could have and then you know making the uh customer experience when they i talked about this before with Amazon compared to Amazon you're know, making that customer customer experience um you know more more than what they expected from when they press the buy the buy now button to they receive this package and it's in this awesome branded box and you open it and it has you know colorful tissue paper and it and it's wrapped real nice and you know the brand maybe have had even included a little postcard insert with a handwritten note thanking the the uh, customer for purchasing the product and maybe even giving them a promotional code to use for for another uh, purchase so it's doing these little things that will then increase uh repeat buyers Again, like the customer experience goes way beyond that buy now button. I believe every step of the fulfillment process, from you know simply the speed of picking and packing the order to what it's packaged in to then getting it out, it directly affects that customer experience. And packaging is one of the the main things that can make a difference. Uh, The next is an optimized shipping strategy. So this is huge. Like as Jared said, like Amazon with their two day, you know that. Everyone wants to to live up to that standard. Um, you know, right now with the carrier delays and the and the uh, order volume, it's living. You know, having that two day delivery has become a little bit more challenging, even for Amazon. I mean, I know at the start of of quarantine, Amazon was saying, you know, hey, you're not going to get your package for a month, and then you would get it two days later. Still, so Amazon kind of did it, you know, in a good way where they over or under promised, but then over delivered. So with the shipping strategy, you kind of want to do that. Um, you know, some merchants weigh shipping speed over the cost. So they want to get their, their products to the consumer way faster and they will pay more for that. Others are going to say, no, you know, I'm going to pay, I want to pay a little bit less and it's okay if it takes a little bit longer. So, you know, determining what works best for your brand and then um, optimizing your ship speed based on that is a great, uh, great strategy to have. Um, so. Uh, at Chipmung, we we work with you know a network of of carriers, all the of, of all of the major carriers, and we're able to diversify the options. And then we can um, have the merchants then pick a price point and a shipping speed, kind of like a good, better, best uh, scenario, depending on their preference. So like you know they want the best shipping speed and the you know better cost, and then depending on that, we can say okay, we're going to use this. Um, you know, this shipping option, and then they're able to convey that to their customers prior to purchasing so that the expectations are known up front on okay, here's the price of the shipping, and here's about this you know what the speed of the shipment will be. So, you know, really being upfront and transparent and and uh, you know, letting you know knowing what your your what's important to your brand and conveying that then to your consumers is really important when it comes to shipping another uh another strategy to optimize your shipping is having multiple locations so this has, has kind of become a big thing during covid because of the delays um and the influx um, at the hub so a carrier hub may have to they may see their volume of orders and while the carrier may um so they they may go from like the our warehouse to a hub in Miami, but that hub is full. So then instead they're driving to Jacksonville, which is a lot further, and it is it's causing it, you know more time in the shipping <clears throat> the shipping period. <clears throat> Sorry, that was just kind of like a, a smaller version. But if you think of it, about it in the grant, like in of the whole United States, if there's a delay in you know one state, and you can have your sh- uh, your inventory. In another state, and you can ship then closer to that state and speed up the shipping time that way. Um, it's a w- <clears throat> really good way to offset the the delays. So, like, say you're shipping from California to Arizona, you can uh, benefit from having your inventory split between, you know, a warehouse in Florida and then a warehouse in California. Um, another another strategy is delayed shipping notifications. Again, <clears throat> during COVID and pre-COVID is a is a really great strategy. Um, so what this means is you're uh, managing expectations with shipping times by delaying when that uh, the sh- uh, shipping confirmation email is received by the consumer. So the consumer, you know, presses by now, they receive that the order has the email, the order has re- been received and they've paid for three days shipping. And then, a, you know, two days later, then they receive the email that their shipment has is in uh, is in transit. And then three days later, they receive their shipment. When in reality, that that shipment may have been picked up a day or two before, but due to the, like the current delays, they're not aware of that because of the the, the the delayed notification. However, I will say, and I think Jared kind of hit it on this um, earlier, where not all um, answers are are great for everyone. It kind of depends on like your your brand and your company. And so, like as for uh, delayed shipping notifications. We've had some brands where they've set up the delayed notification. so the notification uh, shipping notification would go to the consumer you know three days after it is picked up by the carrier and it'll be you know a two day shipping speed and the consumer receives the um, receives their product before they even receive the shipping notification. So it's kind of added, adds a little bit of confusion into the experience. Um, I think it's very rare that that happens, but we have heard. Of it happening on occasion. But for the most part, the delayed shipping, delayed shipping notifications can really like allow you to, you know, make the speed of the shipment appear a lot faster than it actually is. Um, what else? So branded tracking pages, this is something we actually recently rolled out and is a great way to, um, you know, continue to be transparent to your consumers about uh, the expectations. So what, you know, our specific branding tracking pages. We brand it to you. Uh, We have it, you know, your logo on it, your brand colors, um, and it then pulls in the tracking links based on the carrier. So instead of sending a consumer to or buyer to a carrier's tracking page, you're sending them to your own branded page. So it's, it's more personalized. It seems, you know, it's still on brand. It's not, you know, sending them off of your site. Necessarily, um, and using these branded tracking pages, we have um, on the right side there, where you see the special edition banner. So that's our promo banner, and they, the brands can customize it however they want. So there, you could say, uh, you know, reiterate that, hey, these car- this carrier is having some delays. While well, you, you know, may expect uh, your package to arrive in three days, please, you know, please be aware that there are there could be some delays, um, and c- continue to reiterate and you know, be clear that. Uh, that these expectations, the expectations that they that they have could or could not be met and prevent them from, you know, if it's, if you promise two days shipping and then you don't, you know, let them know like, hey, there's some delays, you're going to get these customers on the phone wondering where the heck their, per- their, their product is. So it's one other way just to continue to, you know, uh, reiterate, reiterate any messaging, whether it be delays or, um, you know, you could use like for the, for the promo banner, you could use that too. Add a promo code for a future for a future pro, uh, purchase and have them come back and be a repeat buyer so it's another way to to boost that customer experience and then the returns process so yeah this is another big one um, <clears throat> you know, no merchants like returns they're a pain um, but they're bound to happen so you know having a clear and transparent policy is huge you know you want to make sure that your consumers know exactly what to expect if they can return a product if it or if it has to be exchanged or if it's going to be returned for store credit you know no policy will be a catch-all for any brand and and the policy will be unique to your part your product and your margins but you need to have you know clear a clear policy and and let your uh, consumers know what to expect Um, you also need to be flexible and honest about how long the process could take and then with the uh through the process, you know, making it as simple and painless as possible. No one likes to make returns. No one wants to, especially right now, no one wants to get a EPS and drop off a box to be returned. Um if you're able to provide, you know, the ship the return shipping label within the package when you ship it or, you know, make the packaging easy to just tape right back up and put the label on it, have the consumer tape it back up and put it the label on it and just hand it off to the carrier to be returned. Um, you know, that's it's a great way to make that experience, you know, easy and simple and convenient for your your buyer. Um, Otherwise, you can uh, optimize from returns is as an upsell opportunity. So rather than having a chargeback or a refund, you know, you could credit their account for a future purchase or give them a discount from a future purchase once they once you receive the return. Um, and then what the maximizing the revenue from uh, returns. So, you know, no one likes uh, non restockable inventory, but it's not happen. you know, you receive a return back and the product is damaged, you have to do something with it. So at Chipmunk we actually offer an option to decide what you do with your, your return product. So once the return, once we receive a return, our team will inspect it, decide that if it can be put back into inventory as is, or if it needs, if it, or if it needs to be handled a different way. So say it's broken. And the merchant decides, okay, if it's broken, go ahead and dispose of it. Or we offer uh, you could donate it. You could we can return it to the supplier. Um, say it's, you know, it's very, you know, um, there's one little tiny thing wrong with it and you think you can still, you know, maximize your your revenue from it by selling it on a third party site, we offer that option as well. So there's there's different steps you can take um, to make your products able to be sold again from return. So it's it's not just having them return back and sitting on a shelf and taking up taking up your precious space. So yeah, at the end of the day, making, you know, being clear and transparent and communicating with your consumers and, you know, meeting their, their expectations, um, over-promising, or under, I'm sorry, under-promising and over-delivering, you know, keeping them happy from the moment that they press buy now to the moment that they receive that package and open it is huge and will will increase uh the potential for repeat customers and yeah keep your keep your brand growing
0: well that is great i really I appreciate all that insight and stuff there's there's a lot of a lot of great information in there and um those robots are are those is that actually is that like a like a an actual photo of of your or are those just maybe the types of robots you use
1: <laughs> that that's actually a robot in our warehouse Oh wow! So so, yeah, the company we partnered with is called Locus, Locus Robotics, and um, we now have have our robots going um, all through the warehouses. It's actually very, very neat. Um, They, at first, it was kind of scary walking out in the warehouse and having them zip around. They come through very fast, but it's it has increased our efficiency and productivity rates exponentially. So
0: pretty cool addition to the team. So, just just another dumb question I, I try not to load up my webinars with too many no. dumb questions, but so so basically, the way that they would function is um you would have a picker that would pick the products, put, load it on, and then it would go to the packer is that is that the connection, or do they actually do like do they pick it themselves somehow
1: no, so they don't have they don't have the arms yet <laughs> that'll be the next step but no they um so there's uh, kind of like I think of it like a railroad track or like a subway track around um the warehouse where it's shooting down from like the ceiling to the uh, to the robots, and they know exactly you know where what aisles to go down to based on um, where the product is, and they will congregate like one uh, one robot will congregate in an area where the majority of the products that need to be picked are. So it's not like zooming from one end of the warehouse to the other; they're just going up and down like uh, rows right near each other to pick products right. that need to be fulfilled right then. And then a, a warehouse worker, or we call them our warehouse warriors will then go to the robot, pick the product off the shelf, scan it. We have a scanner, it's a like little like an iPad on the robot and it scans it to make sure it's the, the correct product. Then it's put into the robot's bin. The robot either goes to its next destination, its next row, or it goes to the art conveyor belt where someone will unpack the bins and then the bins are weighed to make sure that it is the you know, if it's like two of the Two products in one bin. It's the, the correct weight for that order, and then it proceeds on to the to the packing and shipping station.
0: That's great. That that, that looks really neat. I um, I don't know. If that's uh, it's it's amazing some of the stuff that they're doing now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So let's let's get to these questions because we're kind of running out of time. I don't want to uh, sit here and gab too too long. Um, the first question that we, somebody asked is, what are the best practices for uh, refund and return policies to prevent chargebacks? And um, you and I talked about this, and I, I think this sort of illustrates kind of the point I was making earlier: is that you know the people people want this like magical language that you can put in your return policies or um, something like that. And I think I think look, so if if what you want to do is you want to have a uh, minimize chargebacks as much as possible, then you want to have as easy return. You really don't want to, your return policy should be kind of almost a no questions asked return policy. Um, but but that will, I mean, that'll open you up to return fraud and other liabilities too. So um, really businesses are going to have to figure out what, what the return policy is that makes sense for their business. They'll probably have to run some tests and really look at it from an analytical standpoint. Um, but as far as from a, a chargeback prevention standpoint, in addition to that, the, the thing that I believe and I think the thing that um, that, that Catherine would agree with is, is, look, it's there's nothing. It's not what's in your terms and conditions. It's, it's that you're clearly communicating, um, you know, the, the pertinent terms and conditions. So, for example, if something's not going to get there for 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 14 days, 14 business days after they place an order, you need to make sure that they they understand that up front. You can't bury that in a shipping policy that's three clicks away from their cart. You have to display that information right there. If they're agreeing to a rebill, then you really have to display that information there. You can't put that those types of terms and conditions deep into a a return policy so really the issue from from both a chargeback prevention but also the ability to to refute and have chargebacks overturned is going to depend on some degree on whether or not it was clear that the customer was was agreeing to to those specific terms Um, if you have a you know a, a, a you know 10 page document that's your terms and conditions and somewhere in there it says hey there's going to be a rebuild or hey the shipping is going to take a while or there's no return policy um that's not going to be the type of thing that's going to prevent a chargeback so 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 rather than what's in it it's it's how you communicate it and and how and 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 the way that you you make it accessible for people um so that that would be i mean is that is that kind of what what you're thinking was Catherine?
1: absolutely yep making it you know clear transparent you know, no questions asked, and then the other thing would just be making it easy. Um, you know, we've actually partnered with another company to make the returns our returns process, even more easy for our merchants, where um, they they return uh, the returns can be uh, generated directly on their website and then automated. So it will generate the the return shipping label. It will uh, uh, automatically refund the merchant. Um, it's very yeah, it's very automated. It's not taking the the buyer off of the the merchant site. It's you know, built into that, and then it's also integrated with our software, so we can, you know, we can track it as well, and the the merchant can track it in our software. So just making it as easy and simple for the buyer is a great great way to to prevent chargebacks. <clears throat> okay,
0: great. Okay. Um, what are some merchant missteps in the fulfillment process that could trigger chargebacks? I think you probably have a, a good handle on this question. You, you have some... I
1: Yeah, I mean, I would just say communication, like lack of communication in general, like them not communicating well uh, or not being even responsive. So, you know, if a, a, a buyer has a question about something and they contact the, the seller and the seller is just, you know, cricket, um, you know, it's going to cause some problems i actually you know before or as well as i've been working with shipmunk i had an order and you know since i i understand a little bit more of the logistics side of of order fulfillment and the whole process I'm a, i think i'm a little bit more understanding now as a consumer but i i purchased something online and received it and you know wasn't happy with it and tried to contact the seller and it it was just a pain. It I couldn't get a hold of them. I emailed them four times and then finally I was just like, okay, you know, give me my money back. You can take this product. And even that was a process. So um, you know, just being able to communicate, you know, communicating um, you know, what, you know, what the shipping timeline is or what the returns policy is. Um, you know, everything and anything you communicate with the sellers is 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 the best. And then again having Having a clear means of um, you know buyers contacting you and you responding to them um is huge A you know, lack of communication I think will ruin everything
0: i I agree i think that's I think that's absolutely you know your people are gonna make mistakes as <clears throat> and as long as you don't have mistakes as a policy, so as long as you're not telling people we're gonna ship it in two days and you're sh- knowing that you're gonna ship in five days. Exactly. You know, like that's that's your that's a recipe for uh, disaster. But if um, you know, look, if you ship in five days and you told them two days, as long as you communicate with them, generally, um, you know, you may have an unhappy customer, but you're probably not going to have a chargeback. The lack of communication is really I think I, I agree that that sort of changes the that calculation a lot of customers' minds. Um, Next one is what makes a chargeback illegitimate? And this was, we actually talked about this question because it was, it's such a big question, it's hard to, to, to attack. And so I'm just going to really think about it abstractly. And, and what I, what we try to explain to people is that the chargeback mechanism is really meant to resolve sort of the extreme instances of a dispute, right? So so if if someone steals your credit card and uses the credit card to buy a purchase that you didn't authorize, then that's a very valid reason for a chargeback, right? That's a very legitimate chargeback. Conversely, if you buy something online and then the the, the merchant just never sends it to you, like they were it was a scam or some other, some other you, you know um, thing where you have a legitimate grievance, they've legitimately not fulfilled their end of the obligation, then then that's another um, you know, valuable uh, use of, use of a chargeback. But the majority of chargebacks fall in kind of a a spectrum in between. And so really, most of those that are on that spectrum are illegitimate. It's not how a chargeback was designed to be used, right? A chargeback was not to be designed to be used because you didn't want to sit through a 10 minute, you know, uh, 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 call queue in order to get a refund, It's not meant to be used because you prefer, you know, customer service via chat, and they only have customer service via email. Um, It's not uh, to be used because you forgot to cancel and you've, you know, meant to, and you know, you really can't afford it. That's 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 not the how a chargeback is designed to be used. And and too often, those are sort of the reasons that those are the 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 ways that you can describe why a chargeback happens. So. I would say, look, a good way to tell is if the uh, customer had has never contacted the merchant before filing a chargeback, even if they have a legitimate grievance, then that's that's friendly fraud. That's an illegitimate uh, chargeback. Um, if If the you know you, you can make a case that the customer you know agreed to the terms and conditions and w- was made a purchase fully knowing um, you know that there was no refund because it was on sale, for example. Um, then that's an illegitimate chargeback. So um, I, I would say it's easier to define a legitimate chargeback than an illegitimate chargeback because there's there's really so many different variables. Um, and you should be able to, if if you know if you're using a, um, a chargeback management company to handle th- those disputes, or if um, you know you're, you, have a, you have a successful internal team, then you, you should be able to reverse the majority of those illegitimate chargebacks. Um when choosing a fulfillment partner, what are some key traits to look for? Um is any of those key traits a, a really cool logo?
1: <laughs> I mean it could be. We get that a lot that everyone that our they love our logo. Um and our branding. We have a very playful, fun branding, which yeah, I mean if you've if anyone checked out our blog, it's it's a lot of fun that we have, you know, it's very technical technical topics that are made very, you know, very fun, enjoyable and playful. But, you know, explains what we're trying to talk about. So yeah, I love the brand. Um, but yeah, as a whole for f- fulfillment partner, it really depends on you know your company and your brand um, and your needs. Uh, if you're currently fulfilling orders, I would say like think about the process and you know that your fulfillment partner should be able to provide you with the same services. Like for example, if you have special requirements, if it's like fragile packaging, can the, can the fulfillment partner accommodate that? Or if it if you're a, su- a subscription box company and you do monthly sub boxes can the fulfillment partner you know take on that you know mass, like bulk amount of monthly orders at one time um so yeah it's really based on your needs um and then you know response responsiveness and customer service again are huge i mean it's huge across the line um another thing i would say like location it could be a deal breaker depending on like where you're shipping to predominantly um you know, look. It, it, of course, location will speed up, you know, shipping time and can cut back on shipping costs. So it's something to keep in mind. Um, uh, flexibility, like automation, um, and then like a partner that can grow with you. Like if you're ready to scale, if you're, you know, if you're a your company and you were you're starting off in-house fulfillment and then you just boomed and now you just you you know you can't handle it or you just don't want to do it anymore. And you just, you really want to grow your business. You want to make sure that that fulfillment partner is, is able to grow with you and you're not going to outgrow them. Um, I think my best tip would be, you know, to explain to the, the uh, 3PL exactly how you want your orders to be fulfilled and see if they can match that. Like while experience is certainly a, an important asset, it makes sense to go with like 3PL that really aligns with, with your brand and your vision and what you want for your company.
0: Okay, I think those are, that's great. Um, the next one is, uh, is it better to have a no refund policy at this time or continue business as usual? Uh, so I think they're saying not not no refund policy, but just just to have a no refund policy, which means a policy of no refund. So I don't know if this may be a typo, but I'm going to assume that they mean a policy of no refunds. Um, so we don't recommend that if what you're concerned is chargebacks. Um, but, look, if, if, if that's what you're concerned about, if you're concerned about, you know, maybe uh, refund abuse uh, right now, um, maybe uncertainty, you know, so you're trying to mitigate some other concern, um, you can have a no refund policy if you want. But the two things is you better make sure that they know that. And just from an operational standpoint, what I would recommend or from, maybe from a marketing standpoint is I would recommend, you know, maybe coming up with like a, where it seems like the product's on sale so that you're like hey this is like a liquidation sale but as a result there's no refund right cuz so that would be something that cu- customers would be I, I think i think less less concerned about you know um if they feel like they're getting a really good deal but if if you're just saying due to the covid we're going to have a no refund policy i don't know i don't i don't i don't recommend that but um but i i i i, I guess um um what 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 do you think? Is that is that something do you have customers that have, have made that decision or that sort of uh-huh. just rent generally make that decision?
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not exactly sure if we do. Um you know, again, yeah, I kind of agree with you where I wouldn't I wouldn't say not to have a refund policy. Um but again you could maybe use it as like, I don't know, maybe like as an upsell opportunity where um, you know. It's instead of a refund, it's a store credit, and they get maybe a discount. Yeah, but yeah, I'm not. Yeah, it's a tricky question.
0: Yeah, but I mean, even in a store, I mean, I think just this is again from from my um, experience as a consumer. But even in a store, if you mm-hmm. have, if if it's a no, like they tell you, like you know, the clerk will tell you, um, look, there's no refund, just because they don't want somebody coming in there yelling at them. Um, so I think I think if if that's your your thing, then you have to be super transparent about it. And I, right. I just don't know if that would be a, a good thing to do unless it was combined with some other some other. Uh, right. Okay. Well, let's let's just get one more, and then we'll let um okay. we'll we'll kind of call it a day. We didn't get as far through these as I wanted to get, but um uh, we'll we'll make sure to send out uh, answers to everyone uh, via email. And certainly if uh, if you want to reach out to uh, uh, Catherine or me. Um, then you know uh, I'll show I'll put our emails back up at the end of this and you can just shoot us a question if something wasn't super clear. Um this last question is uh, what should you do once a customer has received an order? So what are some after they receive the order what are some things that that um you know companies can do to to continue growing that relationship?
1: Sure. So you know of course there's marketing opportunities for the merchant so you know they can see that the the pack for the product was delivered and you know shoot them an email asking them you know how was their experience Give it, you know maybe a survey, um, you know, retargeting them for, you know, similar products later on. Um, but one thing from like a logistics standpoint, I would want to, I would want to know would be, you know, how long did it take, you know, tracking like overall, like, you know, each week, like the, how long did, each, how long did the orders take on average, you know, were the products packaged well, Were they received in good condition, how was the entire experience? And, you know, again, you're going to probably have to reach out to the, the buyers to, get some of that information, but you know, the shipping time, like that's, you know, able you're able to see that yourself. Um but yeah, just making sure that the whole um, you know, the whole fulfillment process is um the whole fulfillment process will be, you know, handled well and and strengthening the you know, customer loyalty with logistics by ensuring that experience was great. So like while your product may be amazing, you know, if if the product was shipped in bad condition, or if it take it took too long long to arrive, you know it could cause the experience not to be so well. So just making sure that you're continuing to optimize that post purchase experience, and and then increasing your your chance for repeat purchases.
0: Okay, all right. So let's go back up to that. Yeah, I always mean to put another slide at the end, but I forget. All right. So here's yeah. here's our email. So if uh, you'd like to reach out to me. Um, or Catherine with any questions or, um, you know, to, to hire either of our companies to, to help you with your problems, then um, you, can, you can reach out to us at those emails. I want to thank everyone for joining us today, and thank you so much, Catherine, for, for uh, uh, joining me on this webinar.